We both like to win. We both detested getting beat. The love affairs have had plenty because we've been with some tremendous football clubs. There was nothing else at all in the whole world but football. Welcome to Merseyside Legends, the tales and tapes with John Keith. He was larger than life and greater than great. His record will stand forevermore. Just take me back to those good old days, Dixie, to glorious Goodison Park. Those proud blue shirts took the road down to Wembley and Dixie Dean hit. 85 years since William Ralph Dean, the legendary Dixie, last kicked a ball for Everton and 43 years after his death, English football's greatest centre-forward has surged back to life with the current generation of supporters suddenly made aware of his extraordinary exploits. He's, he's an exceptional talent. He can score all types of goals. It just does look as though he can be anything he wants to be. Talk to Everton fans about that. There's only one man to do it. That's that fellow that walks on the water. I think he's about the only one. The reason for Dixie's reawakening in the public consciousness lies at the head and feet of a 23-year-old Norwegian. The arrival of Erling Haaland at Manchester City to take the Premier League by storm, rattling in goal after goal for the treble winners, prompted pundits and punters alike to dust down the history books to check if his like had ever been seen before. The answer, of course, lies in the jazz era of the 1920s, when Dixie Dean's constant refrain was goals, goals and more goals. And that Dixie melody plays on, with his scoring output still unmatched in our national game. Birkenhead-born Dixie, his nickname earned either by his swarthy good looks or his proficiency in a children's street game called Digsy, crossed the Mersey from Tranmere Rovers to sign for Everton on transfer deadline day 1925, his powerful heading already a formidable part of his armoury. The £3,000 fee was then a record for a third division player and for an 18-year-old, as Everton landed Dixie in a 20-club battle for his signature. But for the coveted young centre-forward, it was a dream come true. From the moment he'd stood as an eight-year-old with his father William at Goodison, watching Everton's 1914-15 title winners, they were the only club for him, and he didn't let them down. Anyway, sir, I met Mr. McIntosh there. He asked me and told me all about the signing and uh, asked me what I like to sign on for Everton as professionally. I said, yes. I said, as a matter of fact, I said, I've been waiting for you. I've refused about seven or eight clubs and Everton, of course, was my life. Harland, who stands six foot four to Dixie's five foot ten, ended his inaugural season at City with 52 goals in 54 games in four competitions, 11 goals behind Dixie's 1928 haul of 63 goals from 41 appearances. 
and Haaland was miles off Dixie's 60-goal league total from 39 appearances, the Norwegian scoring 36 times in 35 outings, a Premier League record. I was privileged to have known Dixie and interviewed him several times and I'm delighted that we're bringing him to you in his own words in a two-part podcast. To start part one, we bring you his memorable riposte to the question of whether he thought whether his remarkable 60-goal league record would ever be beaten. Listen hard to his answer, Mr Harland. There's only one man to do it. That's that fellow that walks on the water. I think he's about the only one. Dixie's ability to put the ball in the net or bang on target when he played in the street with no nets and with bundles of clothes used as posts was evident from an early age. William Ralph Dean, the man destined to become a legend, was born on January the 22nd, 1907 at 313 Laird Street in the north end of Birkenhead. The arrival of a bouncing baby boy delighted his parents, William and Sarah, who had already produced five girls and later had a sixth. His father was an engine driver for Wirral Railway, while his mother ran the family's fish and chip shop to where the family later moved and where Dixie would help out by slicing the potatoes. I used to turn the spuds for her for both the shops. And uh, the quicker you got them done, of course, the better you could get out, or the sooner you could get out and play football. Now then, if you didn't do them properly, you'd have to sit there for probably another hour or so and hide the potatoes. So it was just as well to give them a good drumming. But Dixie's hunger was for football, and from a tender age, the nearby Wesleyan Chapel formed the foundation of his development as he kicked and headed the ball against the chapel wall for hours on end. One time when I was talking about the heading and such, I, there was an old chapel at the back of our house, and uh, I used to get a ball and throw it upon the roof. I had a goal already put out on the wall of the chapel. I was to throw this ball up, wait for it to come down and head it against the wall in a position where the goalkeeper wasn't sort of thing. And that, that to me was a great thing. I used to enjoy every moment of that. He soon acquired his nickname Dixie for one of two reasons, and it's debatable which is correct. One theory was it was because of his swarthy good looks, the other that it was the product of a street game called Digsy, one of the ways in which Dixie and his pals kept themselves entertained. As a boy, I had uh, uh, just the same as them, old black girl. And uh, it was at school that uh, I got the old Dixie. That's what they used to sing, Are You From Dixie? And as his football journey progressed, the young prodigy earned an early call-up for Birkenhead schoolboys and played for them for two seasons instead of the usual one. And Dixie recalled a day when his scoring skills brought him a goal feast. I was selected to play 
for the Birkenhead schoolboys trial teams. And when you'd finished the trial teams, I'd borrowed the, the bicycle so as I could get back down to uh, Birkenhead Park to play for my school team. And then in the afternoon was a team called Melville I used to play with. I scored six in the first trial match, six in the uh, schoolboys, Lurch Street School, and then six against Melville in the afternoon, so it was a good day's work. I got 18 in, uh, in the three matches in one day. After leaving school at 14, Dixie followed his father into the employment of the Whittle Railway as an apprentice fitter. And although the night shifts meant being in the company of a rat pack that plagued the engine sheds, he chose them so he could play football during the day. He joined Pensby Institute in the Whittle combination and while playing for them he was offered a trial for Tranmere which he gleefully accepted. He signed off for Pensby by scoring four in a 6-1 win over Upton, joined Tranmere as an amateur on November the 27th 1923 and signed pro on April the 19th 1924. I went to play with Pensby. I was just out in the country from me at the time. If you missed the bus and all, you had to run out there. And I used to get a nice little bit of tea and two shillings. Of course, the two shillings to pay for the bus, but uh, supposed to pay for the bus. But uh, we used to use Shaggs's pony. I was put into the first team. I scored a goal in the first match. I think we won it 2-1, I'm not quite sure. I went on with the first team uh, about a third of the season, and then I got an injury, which put me in hospital for a while, and uh, I had to have an operation. And when I came back, I kicked off then with the Cheshire League side to have a run out, and we played at Middlewich, scored a couple of goals there, who came straight back into the uh, first team. Dixie scored on his debut for Tranmere Reserves in a 3-1 defeat by Whitchurch. And as the 1920s roared with new jazz sounds from the likes of Louis Armstrong, Joe King Oliver and the Creole Jazz Band, Dixie did his own roaring with his craze for scoring goals, eight of them in his first nine outings for the reserves. His first team baptism came on Wednesday, January the 9th, 1924, when he was named at inside right in the Liverpool Senior Cup tie at New Brighton and, of course, scored in a 4-2 win. The following Saturday, January the 12th, Dixie became, at 16 years, 355 days, Tranmere's youngest football league player a record he held for 76 years until Ian Hume appeared in April 2000 at 16 years, 168 days. 
Dixie's development continued in the reserves, but was painfully interrupted in February 1924, when a nasty challenge by Altrincham defender Charlie Molyneux left him minus a testicle. Dixie was recalled to the first team at Doncaster on September the 13th, 1924, taking over at centre forward from injured Stan Sayre. And although Tranmere lost 2-0, he held his place and seven days later broke his league duck by scoring in a 1-0 home win over Southport. The first of a torrent of goals by the man who took the art of finishing to new heights. In his first 10 third division north outings that season, he scored nine goals. As clubs around the country cast envious eyes on Tranmere's boy wonder, he hit his first league hat-trick on October the 25th, 1924, in a 4-3 home win over Hartlepool United, the first of an unrivaled 43 senior trebles over the glorious sweep of his career. Typical of the rave reports he received was this from the Halifax Daily Courier and Guardian who pronounced Dixie D in the youthful centre forward of the Rovers has sprung into the limelight with meteoric brilliance. Town's defence crumbled in front of the swift thrust of Dean and his men. He is without doubt a coming star. Newcastle United were the first club to make a move for him, but he politely rejected a move after visiting St James's Park. A pack of other clubs were on the chase too, but a trip as an eight-year-old with his father to watch Everton's 1914-15 title winners had secured Dixie's affections. They were the only club he wanted to join. I happened to go out to the uh, a matinee one afternoon, pictures. And when I got home, there was a chap there. And uh, he asked me would I go down to the Woodside Hotel. There was somebody down there who would like to have a word with me. So I did. I went down to the Woodside Hotel. And there was Mr. Tom McIntosh, uh, the Everton secretary. And he shook hands, told me what it was all about. He said, uh, we'd like you to come to Everton. And I said, well, that's it. I hardly believed it. And that was, I signed on the Wednesday. And Mr. McIntosh turned around and said to me, you'll be playing against Arsenal on Saturday at Highbury. And I thought, that's a bit of a jump. But anyway, uh, that was it. I went over, met the players the next morning on a Thursday, uh, introduced them all, and I felt right at home. The £3,000 transfer fee paid by Everton was a record both for a third division player and for an 18-year-old, which just about cleared Tranmere's overdraft. He had scored 27 goals in 33 senior appearances for them, the last of them at Darlington. His next outing would be different in every way as an Everton player at Arsenal. 
with only one day to prepare. Yeah, and I scored a good goal, as I thought, and so did the goalkeeper. Because uh, this ball came over and I headed it in, and it went in the top corner of the net. And the goalkeeper just caught it then, as it fell, and threw it up the field to be kicked off. But the referee was uh, pointing that the ball hadn't gone over the line or something like that. Although his Everton debut was not a happy one, he was in tears after having had a goal disallowed in his new club's 3-1 defeat at Highbury. Dixie's self-confidence was unimpaired. I knew that I'd come off at Everton. Uh, I don't know, it, it, it had been there since I was a child and, and I just seemed to know that I could do something. On a summer's day in North Wales in 1926, after Dixie had completed his first full season at Everton, in which he scored 33 League and FA Cup goals in 40 appearances, disaster came out of a clear blue sky. He and girlfriend Evelyn Jones were enjoying a spin on Dixie's new motorcycle on the St Asaph Road when a motorcycle combination that had been darting in and out of traffic moved to pass another vehicle and collided head-on with Dixie's machine. Dixie with a fractured skull and a jawbone fractured in three places and the two men on the combination were all seriously injured and taken unconscious to Cluesti Infirmary near Hollywell. Evelyn, riding pillion, was only slightly injured and discharged the following day. Here's Dixie's memories of that fateful summer's afternoon. I was taking a young lady up to uh, have a run out and we went up into Wales and we were just going through Hollywell when uh, a chap kept cutting out with his car, cutting in, cutting out and one thing another and another. And uh, it was just as well that I, I, I took the way I did go. That was over the bonnet and up the windscreen. Otherwise, if I'd have gone down the left-hand side, I'd have gone right down this here mountain thing. But anyway, uh, I finished up in hospital and had my skull fractured. And it was pretty well uh, patched up and one thing or another. Well, that was 1926. They brought me over to uh, Sir Robert Davis Nursing Home in Eaton Road, West Derby. Considering that on first examining the injured Dixie, some doctors had feared for his life and then believed he'd never play football again, his recovery, complete with a metal plate in his skull, later removed, was astounding. After convalescing in the Sir Robert Davis nursing home in West Derby, Liverpool, he was playing football again just 15 weeks after the accident in a reserve game at Huddersfield Town on October the 9th, 1926. I was, uh, my old head was up in a bit of a joint and a splint and God knows what, it was parceled up here and there. But anyway, this one day I was up the tree and somebody shouted from down below, if you can be up there getting all those apples and one thing or another, he said you can come back and start playing at Everton. 
and it was old Tom McIntosh. So good enough, I came down that street. I said, when, when can I go? Can I go to it? He said, yes. Oh, I said, thank you very much. Dixie was back and a road to glory was about to unfold before him. I hope you've enjoyed part one of our Dixie podcast. I'll complete his incredible story of part two, so make sure you tune in. So on behalf of my producer, Ollie Cowan, and myself, thanks for listening to Merseyside Legends with John Keith. He was larger than life and greater than great. His record will stand forevermore. Just take me back to those good old days, Dixie, to glorious Goodison Park. Those proud blue shirts took the road down to Wembley and Dixie Dean.